0: But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, people will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will see it send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So be on guard. Be alert you do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch this is the word of God. It's for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. We pray. Amen. Okay, church, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Oftentimes when I tell a story, it's a story that happened in the Bible or a story that happened in my own life, or maybe a story that happened really in history—you know at some point in history. Today, I'm going to tell you a story that hasn't happened yet. Could, maybe, indulge in a little bit of what if. What if this Christmas, this year, when Santa comes inside the house eating the cookies, what if an owl comes along, steals the presents out of his sleigh, what if while he's doing that, while well, that's happening, some mice come and they, they chew off the reins and the reindeer get loose and it's up to you to save everything. Well, if you gotta go find the reindeer? What if you trick them to come back by laying out little cookies for them to follow all the way back? And what if you are the person to save Christmas? I mention all this because I just finished doing Thanksgiving with my five nieces and nephews who are under the age of seven. And when they get to imagining what could be their imagination is always a lot bigger than mine. It's a lot bigger. It's a lot wilder. It's a little bit weird, to be honest. Yeah, you know, we always talk about how... Age is just a number, and I really want to believe that. I want to believe that about myself. But then I spend time with my little nieces and nephews, younger even than the kids I've got in my own home. And when I spend time around them, I know that if I really was going to be like a kid at Christmas, I had a long way to go. I had to be able to think a lot bigger, a lot weirder. There's just no way around that kids do Christmas a little differently than the rest of us. I think they do it better, to be honest. Kids can imagine a thousand apocalyptic scenarios before they get to snack time in the morning, and then they can reimagine every single one of them with sharks involved. If we're going to be like a kid at Christmas, we got to stop thinking about the future just in terms of the best case scenario or the worst case scenario or something in between. Jesus said that anyone who wants to enter the kingdom of heaven has got to become like a little child. If that means anything for us, I think it has got to mean that we are willing to look for, to wait for, not just the best or the worst, but maybe even what to us would otherwise be unimaginable. It is harder for us to be like kids than we would like to admit. It's not the sort of thing we can do with a little bit more willpower or with a couple practices every single day. It's not the sort of thing we can schedule into our calendar. This is how I'm going to become more childlike. But I do hope that at any time of the year, of all the seasons of the year, that it's now, in the season of Advent, that it gets to be just a little bit easier to think like a child. If you're not familiar with the season of Advent, if that's new to you, uh, it is a The first season of the Christian year. Today is the first day of the Christian year. And what that means is that here at Dolphin Way and at churches all over the world, one of the ways that we bear witness, that we tell the story of Christ's ministry, is that we dedicate every single day of of the Christian year, every single week, to telling another part of Jesus' ministry. So in the season of Lent, we talk about Jesus' crucifixion and his death for us, his sacrifice for us. In the season of Easter, we talk about his resurrection and the resurrection he has for us all. At Pentecost, we talk about the day his Holy Spirit came down on the church. And on the 52nd Sunday out of every year, we talk about the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then we start all over again. That's what today is. Today is the day that we begin to tell this story all over again. It's the very beginning. And what I love about the beginning is that when we tell the story of Christ's ministry and his work for us, we don't begin with the day he shows up. Christmas is not the beginning. Instead, we insist the beginning is in the promises and all the things that got us looking and waiting and watching. The story always begins with dreams and with visions and with possibilities of what can be. This is the season when we not only remember all the promises that came before Christ's return, Christ's first coming, before the incarnation, it's also the time when we remember that we are waiting right now, that we are waiting for his return. We are waiting for the day when all will be made well, when every tear will be wiped away. This is the season for waiting and dreaming and wondering. So that we can be ready when we see our Savior, who is more wonderful than we could ever imagine. It's our hope that over the next few weeks, we can dream a little bigger together. So when December 25th gets here, every one of us can be like a kid at Christmas. Believe it or not, I think today's Bible verse can help us. It's called the little apocalypse. Maybe it didn't sound all that hopeful. Maybe it didn't sound all that Christmassy to you. But... There's no getting around that Jesus was definitely dreaming bigger than his disciples were when they arrived in Jerusalem. This passage that we heard today with all the apocalyptic imagery, the the darkening of the sun and the falling stars, the angels, that sacral fig tree, whatever that's about. All this is just a snippet of a much larger conversation that Jesus had begun very differently with his disciples. The beginning of Mark chapter three is... uh, comes with Jesus teaching on the steps of the temple in the last week before he is crucified. He's there on the steps of the temple, which for a rabbi or for a teacher, for an itinerant preacher in Jesus' day to, to be preaching from the steps of the temple, that's like playing Carnegie Hall, okay? This is the biggest audience Jesus is ever going to see. He's in the heart of Jerusalem. He is preaching all morning long. Crowds are coming to hear him. And when he gets done, when he is kind of packing up and preparing to To pack it in for the day, one of his disciples, we aren't told which one, but the Gospel of Mark tells us one of his disciples stopped him and said, Master, look what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Or to put it another way, the disciple was saying to Jesus, drink this in. It doesn't get any better than this. Look where you are. Look what you're teaching. Look what's going on. Soak it in, Jesus. You've made it. And no sooner does the disciple say this than Jesus replies, Oh, there's a lot more than this. He says, There better be. Because one day, all these great buildings and all these magnificent stones are going to be pulled down so that not a single one is left lying on top of another one. He says, You're impressed by all this. One day, it's all going to come to an end. For the record, that's exactly what happened. About 35 years after Jesus was teaching there on the temple steps, a handful of Jewish leaders began to rally the people of Jerusalem in a rebellion against the Roman Empire. And it got to the point that the Emperor Nero was so distressed by it that he sent his best and his most ruthless, ruthless general, a guy named Vespasian, to go into Jerusalem and end the Jewish threat forever. It took eight years The war started in Galilee, in Jesus' home region. When Vespasian got there, he conquered it. He ended up putting 100,000 people, 100,000 Jewish residents of Galilee into slavery. And it took him another eight years to make it to Jerusalem. By the time he got there, uh, it was time for Vespasian to become emperor, and so he left his son Titus in charge, and T- Titus held the siege of the city of Jerusalem, and it got so bad that uh, his, his people surrounded the walls of Jerusalem, and they would crucify anyone who came out looking for food and water. At the darkest moments, the historians tell us that Titus was crucifying 500 people a day until eventually Rome broke through the walls of Jerusalem, and they rushed inside And not only the walls of the city, but the very walls of the temple were torn down and the place was burned to the ground, but not before they took all of the treasures, the golden lampstands from the temple, the sacred table where they had the offering of bread. They took all that and they took it back to Rome so that they could parade it through the streets in this great triumph to show that the people of Israel had been defeated. It was worse than the worst case scenario. It was worse than anything anybody imagined when Jesus said, but on that day, those who are in Judea should flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house or take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing home, nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now, and they will never be equaled again. This is the scenario that Jesus is laying out for his disciples when they look at the magnificent buildings and say, this is as good as it gets. And then after sketching out these outlines of this unimaginable scenario, Jesus then says it's all part of a, small, of a much bigger picture. He actually says, it's not just Jerusalem, but one day, all of heaven and all of earth are going to pass away. But my word, he says, my word will never pass away. Amen. clue. That cannot have sounded like very much to the disciples when they heard it. He is describing a world in which their homeland is raised to the ground. When even the earth and the heaven have passed away, Jesus says, but my word will remain. And yet in those few words, Jesus is insisting, But there is a much bigger reality than any of us knows how to imagine. My word will never pass away. Jesus is saying even in the darkest moment, he's going to establish a new mission that God is going to have a new purpose and one that will not rest on the weight of massive stone blocks, but one that is going to be found in words. That God's purpose and God's mission is going to be found in words that can be carried farther and deeper into people's hearts and can make it around the world faster than any massive stone. Jesus says that they're going to be messengers sent out to the whole world, carrying that word that's going to remake the world. Don't be confused when the translation says God will send out angels. When you're reading in your Bible, that word in the New Testament, angelos, it can mean messenger or it can mean the spiritual beings. And I think N.T. Wright has it right. We says that in this passage, we should understand verse 27 saying that God's messengers will go out to the whole world, to people who are waiting for good news. Jesus says, my word will never pass away. My messengers will take it to the ends of the earth to the people who are waiting for good news. And he says that is going to remake the world entirely in ways beyond anything you can imagine. If you don't know the history, that's exactly what happened. It's important for us as Christians to, to know that it wasn't just through the church that God worked. You see, before the fall of Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish faith was the temple, the place of sacrifice. But after the fall of Jerusalem, the center of Jewish life and faith became the synagogue, the place of teaching. Went from the place of sacrifice to the place of teaching, to the place of the word. And as the people scattered to the different synagogues, they needed to know they were all reading the same word. And so it was the Pharisees, the rabbis, the leaders at the synagogues said, which books count? Which ones truly tell the story of God? And it is after the fall of Jerusalem that they number and order what we now call the Old Testament. That tells us all the promises we believe jesus fulfilled they became a people of the word and they took their that word around the world and of course the people of the church the christians we took the word as well we took it around the world believing that jesus is the one who fulfills all those promises in that word that he's the one who remade the world the Christian disciples would go from this place at this moment of devastation, they'd go around the world and they would take the word and it began to take root and bear fruit in hearts in ways that they never imagined. They'd go to places like Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus. And eventually they even made it to Rome a city that had the most magnificent buildings in the world. And also some of the cruelest people. And when the word made it there, city began to be remade vision of a new world began to emerge a vision of the world of a world where the last become the first vision of the world where the greatest among us are not the masters or the conquerors but the servants of all vision of a world where a poor woman contributes as much to the glory of the world as all the really well-dressed people who parade through the temples That's the world that began to show up in the word that was carried to the ends of the earth. The messengers would carry the word and the word would remake the world. And for the first time, even a child was understood as someone of sacred worth. The more the people preached the word, the more they discovered that the kingdom of God was bigger and it was wilder and it included more people of all ages from all places than they ever imagined. So what better time is there for all of us to let ourselves believe that there is still more glory waiting to come into the world. It's so easy, especially in a time like Christmas, a time so full of memory, tradition. To think about what was. Why, if there is more glory coming into the world, shouldn't this be a time? Think about what can be. Is there any better time than this moment of waiting for us to let our childlike imaginations run absolutely wild and allow ourselves to want more, to dream bigger, to look at all the truly good and really magnificent things that are in the world and say, but there's still something better to come. And until we can see that better world in brick and stone, until we figure out how to organize it and execute it, At the very least, we can try and find words for it. This is the season for you to say what you're waiting for. Even if you don't know what it's going to look like. In the season when we think about kids, we think about experiencing Christmas like a child. I hope you'll stop to think long enough about the children you pass every single day. And just imagine... What if none of them had to worry about their education, about whether they'd have enough food in their bellies to be able to pay attention, whether it's going to be well-funded, whether they are safe as they receive it? We hardly even know what that might look like, but this is the season to say what we are waiting for. I've just stopped long enough to really see our neighbors who walk by this place, Every single day, some of them carrying everything they own with them as they make their way up the sidewalk. I hope you'll allow yourself to imagine, but what if they knew that in their father's house, there are many rooms? And what if they knew there were a people who are seeking to prepare a place for them as God has prepared a place for them? Hard to know what that would look like, but this is the season to say what we are waiting for. We can look at a world that is beset by loneliness and we can believe that we have the answer, that we We can look at a world that is divided and we can believe that we have found the one who holds it all together. We can look at the world that is in darkness and believe we found the light and one day there will be nowhere left for shadows to hide. This is the season for us to say what we are waiting for. We may not even know yet what it would look like, but we know we are waiting. For families to be healed. For friends to be reconciled. For sorrows to be wiped away. For joys to abound. We are waiting for the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are always waiting. And we are always watching. We're always hoping that today might be the dawn—the day the dawn breaks. And sometimes, when you allow yourself to really name what you're waiting There will come times when it feels as though there's not enough room in your heart for all the things you're waiting for. As if there is no room, maybe in all the world, for all that you're waiting for. And that's why this is the season for us to say that we are waiting for a new heaven and a new world and even new hearts. We're waiting for Jesus to come and make all things new, even us. After telling the disciples about everything that that will be and all that can be and everything they're waiting for, Jesus closes with this odd little story, a parable of a master with a grand estate who goes away for a bit and then leaves the servants to run the place. And notice what he says. They actually run the place. We're told that every servant had a job. And we can imagine the shepherds are out in the fields and the farmhands are out growing the crops, raising their goods, selling them on behalf of the state. We can imagine the chief steward is selling things and raising money and dividing it up amongst folks. The cook is feeding the whole household. The groundskeeper is keeping everything in good shape. You can imagine somebody's buying new furniture? When the old stuff wears out, Jesus paints us a picture of a house where all the members are not asleep, but neither are they kept up with worry about the master when he'll come. They are just waiting by acting place hums with joy, at people who are fulfilling their master's vision. And when he comes back, Jesus says the master will take a look around at everything that's been done and he'll rearrange some of the furniture and he'll check some of the accounts, make sure everything's in order. He'll, he'll make some big changes. He'll pay for big gourmet meals, add on to the house, give gifts to his servants. But we can imagine that as the master wanders around improving this or that, he comes across something. It's a rose in the garden. It shows the care of the groundskeeper who's been tending it all this time. And he says to the servant, that, that's perfect. You must have read my mind. Jesus imagines another possibility. He talks about a servant who chose not to wait, not to hope for something better. The one who gave up on ever seeing things get better. The one who quit watching and waiting and he just fell asleep. And that's the choice before us today, the beginning of this new year. Are we going to sleepwalk through life? When the master comes back, will he find us asleep and dreaming our tiny dreams? Or will he find us living out his cosmic dream for us all? Will he say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Everything you've been preparing, everything you've been waiting on, it is for you. That's what I'm living for. And that's what I want to hear. And I tell you, if I could just hear that. Hear the Savior say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. There's not a magic eraser that could wipe the grin off my face. If I could hear my Savior say that, I know that I would be like like a kid at Christmas. What are you waiting for?